Hey, good morning, church, and happy Sunday. I hope that you're doing well today. Today I want to talk about the Lord and His strength to do what He wants and to do what's necessary. Even when we see no way forward for God, who is the Creator and the Creative One, there is always a way for Him to accomplish His will in your life and in mine, even when we can't see it. And this is underlined and illustrated in so many powerful scriptures. So today might be called a bring your own burden kind of sermon, uh, a bring your own prayer sermon. I don't know what's going on in your life and heart and home, what might be a tough issue for you right now. I can imagine that for all of us, there are some things we're going through that we need a word from God to hold steady, to keep going, to not give up. And if I could do just one thing today, I would like to remind you of the strength of God and of His love for you and of the strength of His love to help us all persevere in face of what might seem to be insurmountable odds or even uh, just a repetitive type of burden that comes back over and over that we face again and again and and we wonder, God, will I ever be free of this? And God is a God of great creativity and power for you and for me. So I want to start today in Romans chapter 4. I would love if you join me there to read a few verses together from Paul's letter, where he, writing to the Christians in Rome that are facing some really difficult ethnic diversity issues of their own, uh, Jews and Gentiles trying to agree and get along in church together, is building up to the point of encouraging them that God has hope and a plan and a purpose for their lives, that He is going to form them to the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to transform them to be more like His Son. And in building that case, He reminds us of great truths of Scripture. One of these is in Romans chapter 4 verses 18 to 24. So I'm going to read from those verses right now. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. One of the great promises of Scripture is in Genesis 12, when God comes to Abraham and he chooses him for no obvious reason, and he says that through Abraham, all the world, all the nations on earth will be blessed. And then God reconfirms this promise to Abraham many times in chapter 15 and chapter 17 and chapter 18. God comes back to Abraham where Abraham hears God speak. He sees visions of God. Uh, he has a theophany. That's when God shows up in the world, uh, embodied in Genesis 18. It's a wonderful story. We heard it read just a few minutes ago when the Lord comes to Abraham and confirms these great promises. And in Abraham's case, this promise is that he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to bless the whole world. But the big looming issue is Abraham and his wife, Sarah, don't have children. Seems like they can't have children. And they try to devise some things on their own. Uh, Abraham ends up having a kid with another woman, and it's Sarah's plan, and it all goes sideways on them. And now they're wondering, in their old age, she's 90, he's 100, will God actually answer these promises at all? 
Abraham, according to, to Paul, has some strong trust in God, that he believes in God's power. His burden that he brings is being childless and wondering if God's promises will hold true. And yet when he brings his burden to God, it says in verse 19 of Romans 4, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He, he looked it head on. So here's the, a clue for us today, maybe if we want to receive it, is denying the truth about our burden won't do us any good. Denying the truth about our burden may keep us in the dark. It may allow us to indulge in some medicating practices. And oh boy, we've all seen those get out of hand a little bit in our lives and others' lives when we turn to alcohol to try to ease the pain or when we dull it with just a lot of entertainment or when we spend money on things to try to distract ourselves or turn to other relationships. It can get messy on us so quick. It says here that Abraham faced it. He faced it. He said he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Well, how did Abraham do that? How did Abraham strengthen his own faith when he was facing the fact of what seems like an insurmountable barrier? He looks uh, at God who has power to do anything and he keeps looking at that God, even in the face of his burden, in the face of his prayer request. He sees the truth here. He's facing the truth. My body's as good as dead. But behind that and over that, above that and around that, he sees the God who can do anything. Verse 21 says he's fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So Abraham looks at his problem, real as it is, and he increases his faith by saying, the God who made everything, the heavens and the earth and everything must have power to overcome even this. Abraham's uh, tip for faith, Abraham's strength in spiritual issues is not his goodness. It's not even his persistence. It's nothing about himself. It's the God that he looks at and he keeps looking at him. He looks at the problem and he looks at God. Paul continues in these last couple verses of this section. He says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness, his faith. The, the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. So that when we do the same thing, we look at our burden, but we keep looking at the God who is above and around and bigger than our burden, that also for us, God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So we see in ourselves that our bodies are as good as dead. I mean, we are all headed towards the grave. We can, we can see in our lives the tendency to destroy ourselves. And we do this in, in our own decisions sometimes. We do this in our societies, all the tearing apart. So I would love to invite you this morning to give God a chance on this. That this morning, bringing our own burdens and bringing our own prayers, that we would just face them for a moment together. And so this activity could be good for any age, for the youngest, for the oldest, for the ones who haven't yet chosen Jesus Christ, to those who have been following him for 60 or 70 years. Take a moment, uh, pause this video, and where you are at, 
Be honest with yourself and with God about what are the greatest burdens that you're facing right now. It could be something in your marriage or something in your parenting. It could be something in your income or your work or your, or your lack of it right now. It could be something related with health and the current pandemic or some other health livelihood situation you're facing. It could be relational, it could be personal, it could be an addiction, whatever it might be, would you take a moment to just put down this burden on paper, write it down and face it, and then imagine for a moment what kind of power would it take to overcome it? Uh, would it take the God creating heavens and earth to make heavens and earth all over again to fix it? That's just what he promises to do. At the end of the scripture story is a new heavens and a new earth. Would it take the God who resurrects Jesus Christ to resurrect your body into a new incorruptible life? Because that, at the end of your faith, that's just what he promises to do. So take a moment now, if you will, pause the video and face uh, your burden. Okay, welcome back. Thank you for trusting God in facing your burden and in thinking about God and who he is. I'm sure that you've written down some very difficult things, some heavy things, some burdens. And I would just like to recognize right now with you that what you're facing matters. It's important. Uh, everyone in the room in your home right now, no matter how old or how experienced in their faith, what you wrote down matters. It matters to you. It matters to me. It matters to the Lord. And even though I don't know what all of those things are right now, I would love to pray with you and for you about it. Could we do that for just a moment? Father in heaven, these burdens that are now on papers all over Northwest Arkansas here on Sunday morning matter to you. And we thank you that people have chosen in a step of faith to write those down, to look at them, and to think about what part of your power, what kind of power it would take to overcome it. Now, Father, as we look at scriptures and are reminded again of your great love and your great power, help us also to be strengthened in our faith so that through the testimony of what you've done in the past, we can have hope for the future. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, and I invite everyone who's listening anywhere to say with me, amen, amen. So in the story that was read earlier in Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah, newly named by God, who in Genesis 17 came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham laughs. He goes, yeah, right. And God says, you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. So God's playing with Abraham here. He's promising. He's playing. He's pulling on his heart and pulling on his hopes. This time, God comes to Abraham's home. This is an incredibly personal story. Abraham is sitting outside of his tent near the great trees of Mamre where earlier in Genesis we learned he had built his home, which was, he was a tent dweller, so it's a temporary place, but he also built an altar to worship God, so he made this somewhat more of a permanent place. And there he worshiped God. Well, now Abraham looks up uh, from in front of his tent and he sees three men that are there, and it's in the heat of the day, so we might imagine those wavy lines of heat, like in, uh, in a movie, uh, the Lion King over the African Serengeti, these wavy lines of heat over the blacktop as you drive through the southwest of the United States. You start to see images and mirages. Well, here's Abraham looking in the heat of the day, and suddenly he realizes he's looking at three men. Now, the story tells us that the Lord has come. That's Genesis 18.1. It doesn't tell us if Abraham knows that. 
And what we see happen is Abraham engages in this ridiculously generous hospitality. Abraham goes to the men and offers them hospitality, which is considered extremely important in the Near East, especially at that time. This is Abraham showing that he's a righteous person. He's a person of justice by offering these travelers rest and water and food. Abraham under-promises and over-delivers. He says, stop for a bit and I'll bring you something. Well, what he goes and gets is lavish, extravagant. He tells Sarah to prepare all of this bread and the amount of flour that he says for her to prepare, three seas of the finest flour and knead it. This is like a lot of flour that he puts her to work for a while and Sarah goes to it and then Abraham rushes off to the fields. All of the words here are that Abraham is, is running, he's hurrying, he's quick. He rushes off to the fields, he picks a fattened calf. Meat is a delicacy, it's special. And even though Abraham seems to be doing pretty well, God has blessed him, uh, this is generous. And he comes back with all of this food, more than he had promised, and he feeds these men, and then they reveal their purpose. They ask a question that would make probably anybody uncomfortable. Where is Sarah? Now these traveling men that Abraham doesn't know, they don't have any business to ask about his wife. But there's a clue here for us, that they don't even just say, where is your wife? They say, where is Sarah? God has renamed her. Just in the last chapter, he said, you're Abraham, she's Sarah, you were Abram and Sarai. So the Lord knows the name that he's given. Maybe this is a clue to them. When Abraham says that she is in the tent, um, the Lord, or one of them, says, I will return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah, like Abraham earlier, laughs. And she says to herself, now that I'm so old, and the Abram here, you know, Abe, he's old too. He's worn out. His body isn't working. My body isn't working. We're past childbearing years. You know, this doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. She laughs. She laughs, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I have a child? And then he asks this key question that I've looked over so many times, I've just skipped right over it. He says, and this is the Lord speaking to Abraham, whether he knows it or not, is anything too hard for the Lord? Wow, is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, their situation under all normal circumstances is too hard for anyone. There's no treatment. There's no medicine for Sarah. There's no surgery for Abraham that's going to fix this problem for them. They're past their time. They're headed towards the grave. They can enjoy their twilight years together, but a child, it should be beyond them. And the Lord asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham and Sarah are asked to face their problem and then look at the God who's above it, beyond it, bigger than it, and ponder the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I don't want to give you cheap or cheesy answers. I don't want to tell you that what you're going through is an easy thing. That's not the point of the Lord's question. It's not that what you're going through is not hard. It's that we serve a wonderful God, a generous God, a God who makes the generosity that Abraham shows in this story to the strangers look like our God created all things, the heavens and the earth. And the prophets throughout the Old Testament 
will say this kind of thing over and over, that God is bigger than their problems, that he can come through in ways we can't even imagine. Job facing disease of the worst and painful kind says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. That comes from faith. Jeremiah facing an army that is sure to destroy their city says, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you. That's how his prayer starts in Jeremiah 32. Nothing is too hard for you. And I don't want to give you cheap answers or cheesy answers, but boy, I would love it if in my heart and in yours we would accept God's invitation that when we're facing these problems that seem insurmountable, we might say, but nothing is too hard for you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And we would say, God, you created all things. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know if you want to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know nothing is too hard for you. Would you say those words this morning? Would you write these words down? Underneath the burden that you put on your page, would you write down, nothing is too hard for you, Jeremiah 32, 17. Would you write those words down? Nothing is too hard for you, Jeremiah 32, 17. And then, if you'd be willing to, would you write out a line or two, a simple line or two of your own prayer? Maybe a praise, maybe a prayer request, but would you write out a line or two of your own prayer and then write the words again, nothing is too hard for you. Just sandwich that prayer, sandwich that burden in Jeremiah 32, 17. Nothing is too hard for you. See, Jesus, he does the same thing in the tradition of Job and Jeremiah and Abraham. Of course, he is God in the flesh. He's the God who was revealed to us. He shows us the Father perfectly. Jesus is this divine Son of God, but also the Son of Mary, a human one. And he teaches his disciples in the same way of the prophets of Israel and the great men of faith. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now you might want to write that down on your page also. These are little life-saving verses. These are miracle grow verses for faith. These are uh, little, little blessings from God, little thirst-quenching verses from God when we feel parched and dry. Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now the context here is a rich man uh, who wants to know what he should do, and it just sounds impossible to him. And Jesus says to his followers, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, it's like a camel, which is a big animal, you know, with humps and bumps. I mean, a camel has humps and bumps and lumps. He's got odd, he's got these long droopy lips. He's got these big floppy feet. I mean, he's got the bumps on his back. This camel is odd shaped and, and, and clunky, you know, to get through the eye of a needle, this tiny, where you need a, a single bit of thread to go through. He says, that's what it's like for the rich to try to enter the kingdom of God. And they despair of hope. See, this is a burden now. All of a sudden, this is a burden. How can anyone then enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible because Jesus knows that his Father is the great reverser of situations, that God delights in reversals, that God loves a turnaround, 
that God loves a comeback. This is the God who, to Abraham, says, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is the God that Jeremiah says about, nothing is too hard for you. And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So Peter, always Peter, right? Always Peter, who's bold and who wants to ask questions, says, but Jesus, you know, we've left everything. I mean, we, we left our homes, we left our fishing boats, we left our dad in the fishing boat. Like, we've left everything for you. So what does this mean for us? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, I, I don't know how God wants you to apply this scripture, but I want to say to you as I read this scripture, this is the way God treats all his people the way Jesus treats his disciples. These are words of God for you. Truly at the renewal of all things, when God sets all things right, when he restores all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, now he's talking to the twelve, you who followed me will sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, that's to them, but in the background is you and me. That this is the way God treats his people. I don't know what he has in store for you. I don't know what the reversal is for you, but this is the way God treats his people. And everyone, see how you're in this? Everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wife, children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. Now in Luke, Luke tells this same saying and he says, we'll receive a hundred times as much in this age. And you know one of the way God fulfills that promise? That whatever relationships that we've suffered for his sake, whatever losses we've suffered for his sake, whatever out of our generosity we've given and, and hasn't been returned to us for his sake, God is restoring these things to us through the community we call the church. He gives us fathers and mothers and brothers who love God and obey his will and suddenly we have family and resources and homes to be welcomed into. Have you ever been welcomed into the home of a Christian? when you were traveling, when you were at a youth event, when you were uh, you know, at the hospital in, a, in another town, when you were a, a young person without your own home yet, have you ever been received for a meal or into the home of a Christian? This is part of God reversing the situation. And that might be a small way. He does it in all the ways that he wants to, even big ways. So everyone who's left these things for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus says it so plainly right there. God is the God of reversals. He wants to restore. He wants to replenish. He wants to reunite. He wants to uh, take people whose relationships with God have been broken and reconcile them to himself, which is reversal, which is restoration. So you've got on your card, you've got a burden and a prayer. You've got Jeremiah 32, and you've got these other scriptures now. What we're doing today is not telling God how to restore things, how to reverse things. We're just looking at the God who reverses things, the God of great reversals. And we're asking, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I'm confident that he will impress on your heart in gentle whispers, in loving ways, I'm not done with you yet. There's more to this story. Now, Psalm 100 was read today, and this is just a great song of praise 
for a God who's full of love for you. Let me read it once as a prayer for us, and then we'll be done this morning. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us, and we are His. It is He who made us, and we are His. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Dear Lord, Father in heaven, dear Jesus Christ, dear Holy Spirit, take our burdens and our prayers, and whether you answer them and reverse them today or in years to come or in the life to come, strengthen our faith as we look at you, our Creator God, who stands above and behind and beyond all things. We know that nothing is too hard for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.